Bibi Fahodier, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast. Media solely focused on the liberation and empowerment of African people. I'm your host, Gullah Jack, aka Russell Swilly. Let's get to it. Good evening. The day's date is February 22nd, 2021. 6261 of BB Fahodier. I'm here with Brother Zamos and Makaru. This is the African Liberation Media. One of the things I'm struck by uh, during my travels are the number of straw men, I couldn't call them pundits, who insist that our resiliency should be comparable to the resiliency demonstrated by Africans in the past. The basis of his argument, some of these straw men, is our DNA. Of course, he is unmindful of the reality of what Brother Amos Wilson talks about, that is manhood being a creative act, a creative process. He's probably never heard of Sister Marimba Ani in the role of culture, which indwells in us and gives you, imbues you with the capacity to decide what to live for as well as what to die for. You know, given the context that Ani and Brother Wilson puts forth, well, then DNA perhaps is secondary, you know, at the most comparable to those other uh, intangible ingredients that are necessary for the survival of a group. This is the African Liberation Media. Gentlemen, take it wherever you want to take it. I'll be with the African family. Another opportunity to uh, discuss issues from the perspective of African liberation and empowerment. And we are broadcasting on February 22nd, the day after February 21st, February 21st, 1965, of course, one of the most tragic days in the history of uh, African people. Uh, That was the day that enemies of African people took our esteemed ancestor, Baba Omawali Malcolm X, out of his development. And just this weekend, there were some developments that... um, that further, uh, you know, convinced us of what we have believed for a long time, uh, even before we were aware of J. Edgar Hoover's August 1964 proclamation or his um, edict to FBI offices around the country uh, where he told them, do something about Malcolm X. Very interesting that Hoover would be making this statement uh, after Malcolm, you know, had left the Nation of Islam and formed the uh, Organization for African um, Afro-American Unity and the Muslim Mosque Incorporated, and of course had traveled to Africa and made contacts with um, uh, the most progressive and uh, revolutionary leaders we had on the continent at the time, who were still in power, including. Uh, the Osagifo, Kwame Nkrumah, Ahmed Sekou Touré, and many others. 
this uh, particular announcement that took place uh, yesterday at the uh, Malcolm X and Dr. Betty Shabazz uh, Center in, in Harlem and was attended by three of Malcolm's daughters, apparently organized by attorney Benjamin Crump, who seems to be everywhere. He's a busy brother. Uh, there was a, an undercover agent, another Judas, another uh, William O'Neill type, except that this guy was actually institutionalized because he was a member of the uh, New York City police force. Uh, his, uh, a race trader by the name of uh, Ray Wood. And uh, he uh, infiltrated a, a number of organizations, beginning with the Congress of Racial Equality, which uh, was moving towards uh, black power and black nationalism at the time. Uh, you know, s at least some chapters were straying far from its um, assimilationist uh, beginnings. And he infiltrated uh, that organization along with Malcolm's organizations and, and, and several others and would, would go on to uh, infiltrate the Black Panther Party when they when they came on board. So this this was a genuine race traitor uh, that, that caused a lot of damage. And it seems that more and more of these race traitors are being exposed and when I was in the struggle during the Black Liberation Movement, the thought of uh, agents uh, could could be very paralyzing if you allow it to. Uh, we have to we have to uh, suspect, you know. Then you know they don't obviously didn't didn't have the technology as far as we know. It appears that they had facial recognition technology a long time before they announced it, but. Uh, you know, it, it, it can be paralyzing and it also can be destructive because people can be accused of being agents, usually accused by other agents. And then you got a lot of dissension within within a, a, an organization and sometimes even leading to death, uh, you know, as, as the uh, story of Alex, the Black Panther, Alex Rackley from uh, New Haven uh, uh, indicates, you know, this story was it was discussed in the um, the movie, the Fred Hampton movie, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, I just want to read one thing that uh, that the, that the letter. So what happened is, so this guy on his deathbed, uh, you know, he didn't have the courage of uh, Judas to to hang himself, uh, but he he did uh, make a deathbed confession he wrote a letter that he that he didn't want uh, made public until after he was deceased uh, so there was uh, there was a 2011 letter by officer Raymond Wood stated that Wood had been compelled means that he's been punkified by his supervisors at the New York Police Department to coax two members of Malcolm X's security team into committing crimes leading to their arrest just a few days before the assassination. They were then unable to secure the entry to the New York to New York's Audubon Ballroom where Malcolm had been speaking when he was murdered. So this this guy specifically targeted he he was obviously uh, told, you know, given these orders by his superiors 
uh, no doubt in coordination with the um, uh, institutionalized white supremacist Jagger Hoover to uh, weaken Malcolm's uh, security team there at the Audubon. Uh, you know, they knew that he would be speaking on February 21st. Uh, you know, this was after the, the bombing of, of the home just a week earlier. And, you know, they were planning, you know, then to, to set things up for the assassination. Now, one of the interesting things, uh, you know, one of one of Malcolm's uh, most uh, ardent followers says that she's absolutely certain that Ray Wood was the second suspect that the police arrested at the Audubon. Uh, I remember reading, uh, I don't know when, early 70s maybe, George Brightman's book on the assassination of Malcolm X. And in this book, he discusses what he called the missing second suspect. Now, uh, Talmadge Hare uh, was shot uh, by, uh, I think, Reuben X, one of Malcolm's bodyguards, in the leg. And he was still trying to run away. The crowd caught him and was beating the crap out of him when, when the police came up and, and, uh, and uh, you know, freed him up and arrested him. But they were also chasing a second suspect who they were beating, and the police uh, freed this guy and arrested him. Apparently, they didn't have a chance to, uh, you know, uh, dot all their I's and cross all their T's because they announced in a press conference that two suspects had been arrested at the uh, Audubon. Now, you know, exactly what made them chase this second suspect because, you know, I would I would have thought that the second suspect would have been someone that was actually shooting at Malcolm. Uh, and some people have said that it possibly could have been uh, William Bradley, but, um, this particular uh, person said that she was absolutely certain that that suspect was Ray Wood. But the interesting thing, and this is something that's always like, you know, this, you know, when I read Brightman's book, that it put Malcolm's assassination in, in the same category with, um, with the Kennedy assassination, John F. Kennedy assassination. Um, you know, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know all the details of the conspiracy regarding uh, Dr. King at the time, but the second suspect that they arrested subsequently disappeared in the thin air. So obviously they, 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 they made a critical error in, uh, well, not, not in arresting this guy. If, if he was an agent, obviously they were trying to save him, but in announcing that they had two suspects in custody and then there's no further discussion by the New York Police Department of this second suspect. The second suspect disappears in the thin air, and then they subsequently uh, arrested uh, two members of the uh, Fruit of Islam, uh, two guys who were, uh, from what a lot of people reported, were very, very tough enforcers of uh, the laws and the rules in the nation or beyond. Um, Thomas Johnson and uh, uh, Butler. I can't remember Butler's first name now. But anyway, uh, they wound up arresting them along with uh, Hare, who, who admitted to being one of the shooters and part of a group that came out of the Jersey City Mosque 
but they arrested these two guys that were in the nation who absolutely had nothing to do with it, uh, according to most experts who have uh, done the, the, the detailed research into it. And these guys wound up spending, uh, you know, a lot of time, uh, 20 years in prison for a crime they didn't commit, being abandoned by the nation, you know, while they were in prison. And uh, and so it, it just made me wonder, you know, uh, that, uh, you know, since this information has come out, exactly, you know, what, what was this guy actually shooting at Malcolm? I mean, you know, it's just it's just it's just incredible, uh, you know, when you when you think about it. Um, and, uh, you know, we posted another article about uh, him called Incognito. Uh, Kelly Harris sent 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 it to me. And uh, th- this guy was like a thoroughbred. I mean, uh, William O'Neill was a 17 year old, a two bit criminal uh, terrorizing his own community and just punked out to save his own rear end. But this guy was actually employed. You know, he, 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 was, he was a willing accomplice, talking about he was being forced. No, you could resign, you could do whatever. But, you know, that's, uh, that's the, the information, and it certainly calls for a new investigation, but by who? By who? I mean, you know... Uh, you know, you would you you would need an independent lawyer of the caliber of um, uh, someone like the late William Kunstler or someone like that to to carry this out. You know, maybe Charles Ogletree or somebody. But you know, it's uh, it's it's really quite amazing um, that uh, this more and more information is coming out. You know, truth crushed the earth is rising again as the American Empire enters the last stages of its existence. Well, uh, yeah, just to, you know, in the aftermath of this event that clearly touched many, it's a terrible loss of somebody from SELC. It might have been even Andrew Young who mentioned the fact that uh, <clears throat> the loss of Malcolm adversely affected the black community because, in his view, Malcolm had many of the answers that plagued the uh in a city, you know, uh, whether he's talking about economic development and just a whole host of issues that we are dealing with uh, on a contemporary basis. Uh, clearly, the brother was feared uh, by the multinational capitalists throughout the world. Uh, you know, he had connected uh, the interlocking of this global empire, to use his words, with their domestic bases in places like Paris and London and Washington, D.C., he was able to draw the connections and through his uh, ability to form and forge relationships with the, throughout the African continent, he viewed this as a base by which we could parlay of through an economic quarantine, uh, possibly through implementing those concepts of uh, Pan-Africanism. He could use that as a power base to bring about tangible changes for Africans throughout the diaspora. Brother X always told us to do was to look internationally. And through his ideas of Pan-Africanism and perhaps setting up 
uh, economic quarantine of the African continent, his ideology would have been, of course, uh, pit West, the, the Western powers where it really matters, in their pockets. Uh, reasons why uh, COINTELPRO and the CIA targeted this brother clearly was because of uh, his international appeal. So uh, that's ideas I have regarding what was lost on that dreadful day, February 21st, at the Audubon Ballroom. My position is that in 1965, Omar Wally Malcolm X was the most important person of African descent in the entire world. M more important than 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 the leaders of of uh, uh, certain African so-called countries, uh, which are really no more than states in a, in, 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 in a real sense. But, uh, and the reason why I say that is because, you know, what uh, Gullah Jack just articulated, his, his international reach, his international reach, which was just becoming, you know, even greater and greater. I mean, it, this, this man, I believe, uh, had he been able to continue his development, would have had the capacity to organize uh, Africans in the diaspora, you know, not not just here in the United States, but also in the Caribbean and Latin America, South America, and on the African continent, a real African union as opposed to the uh, neo-colonial uh, formation that 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 we have today. I mean, you know, you, you could argue, I mean, we'd have to see how this free trade agreement thing works, but, uh, you know, Kwame Nkrumah compromised a lot of his positions in order to get, you know, Haile Selassie and these other guys to uh, join, to agree to form the organization of, uh, of African unity. Uh, and then that compromise has led to the neo-colonial domination, you know, of the African continent and really of the entire African world. And, and you wonder how much of that may have been, uh, you know, had, you know, I mean, that's a lot to put on just one person, but, uh, you know, in terms of, in terms of just the capacity to, to mobilize and organize people, uh, you know, that's why he had to be taken out. I mean, Jagger Hoover just doesn't make a statement, do something about Malcolm X. Whole time he was running around calling white people, dead, all of this kind of stuff. He ain't said nothing about do, do nothing about Malcolm X because he knew, knew that he was inside. That, uh, you know, there was just a religious organization, you know, that that, you know, that funneled everything into an autocrat. And they, uh, you know, to uh, to racial capitalism or white supremacy or anything, uh, at, you know, at that at that time, in 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 my opinion. Uh, but Malcolm is an organization. That's why they had they had to separate him from the Nation of Islam first. That was the first thing they had to do. They had to get him out of there because, you know, the messenger was in uh, you know frail health. No telling when he might go away and then what happens if Malcolm is 
Malcolm is the head of that organization. Oh, my goodness. And so they had to separate him from the organization. And then they said, okay, now we got him out of there. And boom, next thing you know, he's even a bigger problem. Now, now he's freed from the constraints of the nation, the non-activist nation, which was doing a good job in a critical area. Uh, you know, Malcolm always talked about wake up, clean up, stand up. You know, you, you have to wake up to the historical reality of who you are in this world. What have your people accomplished? Where are you today? Where can you go? Wake up, clean up. That's where the nation really excelled uh, to a certain extent, even though apparently it, the, the leader wasn't cleaning up. But they, you know, they 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 excelled in you know getting people you know uh, you know out from under the grips of drug addiction, alcohol addiction, uh, you know, committing crimes, you know, being uh, you know being a you know what a person like O'Neill, you know, O'Neill was a a a Negro product of cramogenic America, okay? And so Malcolm had been the same thing, okay? Bunchy Carter had been the same thing, uh, a Negro product of cramogenic America, succumbing, you know, to the seductions of the, the, the criminal uh, lifestyle. And so the nation had done a tremendous job in terms of that, and it had given, you know, the guys, you know, uh, a backbone, but uh, but but not in terms of of activism. So, you know, in, in in terms of even just trying to make say the reality of, uh, you know, let's form our own independent uh, nation within a nation. I mean, it, you know, do what the Amish people do. You know, so uh, that's why I think that you know he had to be taken he had to be taken out at that moment. Because of the threat that 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 he posed. But uh, to 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 your point, brother, um, clearly there is um, additional strength in being aligned with an organization. And brother Omar Wally, uh, Malcolm El Shabazz, uh, was taken out at a time when he was in the process, in the process of developing two organizations, Muslim Mosque Incorporated and uh, the Organization of African Unity, taken out at that critical time, uh, which Hoover must have known, uh, you see, of uh, attacking the brother at that precise moment. Well, it's one of the things when, when I review history, because I wasn't alive at the time when Malcolm was taken out of his development, every leader or every person that scratches the surface of the white power structure, gaining power for any people. Anybody that's fighting against the system that starts to beat the system or has a way that they can potentially grow to beat the system is taken out. And it's no matter how they do it. It's no matter if they're doing it with a bullet. It's no matter if they're doing it with a pen. If it's no matter if they're doing it, doing it with a microphone or if they're doing it 
behind the uh, the altar of a church. Once you start to attack the white power structure and you start to really focus on power, then that's when you come under attack. The white race will let you deal with justice. They don't care about that. They don't care about you even talking about ending white supremacy or attacking white supremacy. They don't care about that either. What's, what frightens them the most is when people start to deal with power, self-sustainability, and sovereignty for themselves. Because that attacks their ability to exploit you, to enslave you, to take your resources, to take your wealth, and enrich themselves. And that's what they fear the most of everything. And that's why when you look at the Fred Hamptons, the Malcolms, the Garveys, the Kings. Um, once that became their focus, this is when this is when they came under an on on uh, on out all out onslaught and attack from the white power structure. Even people that are not black. Even when you look at Gaddafi. Mm-hmm. Once he started to focus on power, self-sustainability, removing the, the, the stranglehold off of the neck of Africa that the Europeans had, this is when he came under attack. They let Gaddafi be a terrorist for a long time. Mm. As long as he didn't focus on power, self-sustainability. Mm-hmm. That's why I often say that the achievement of Fidel Castro was amazing for him not to be taken out by the white power structure because he went directly at what they fear the most. The only difference is that he didn't hold the keys to affecting their white power structure globally like somebody like Gaddafi did, which made him a more imminent threat that they had to remove. And when you look across the board domestically at the leaders that have been here in the U.S. who held those same keys as a Gaddafi, they may not have held the land and a gateway and the resources to Africa, but they held the gateway into the minds and the spirits of African people who white people feared would overthrow this system and create a new system where they would no longer be under the enslavement, under the, the the boots of the European. So when you hear people have these discussions about white supremacy today, and they fail to mention power, they're not educated enough to understand what we should be fighting for, or they're afraid and they are educated and know that that will be the strike against them that will really put them in this war. Very good points, uh, brother, brother Amos. Very good points. Um, you know, and it just goes to show that a younger person like yourself, you know, if you if you study the history, you know, you you know, you 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 can connect the dots. You know, uh, 
you know, to any point in history. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, you connect the dots to to uh, to Columbus. You know, the Prince Henry, the Navigator, right? I mean, you can you can connect the dots to the Greeks, the Romans, and so uh, you know that's uh, that's really what the struggle is all about in terms of understanding why people you know, come under assault at, at particular points in history, uh, you know, versus other points, right? Um, you know, now the raw elements of the white supremacy dynamic operate on another level. You know, they had tried to, you know, they had bombed Dr. King's house, you know, in, 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 in Montgomery, right? You know, in, you know, in 1956, uh, uh, I think it was, uh, you know, they had, they had bombed the, uh, the Gaston, uh, hotel in uh, in Birmingham, where he where they thought he was staying. So you know you got the raw elements, but it but the raw elements don't have the institutional power to to do things. You know the the Trump up charges, you know mail fraud charges on Garvey. You, you know that 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 requires institutional power. See what you know what what. What they were doing and using people like O'Neill and this Ray Wood, that's institutional power. How they, how they can, you know, have you know somebody arrested, for example, Malcolm security people arrested, and you know how how, uh, the British let Malcolm land in London and give a speech there, and then he got to Paris and they said, no, no, you can't come in here. So. You know, they perhaps feared that the CIA was going to take him out in Paris, and 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 they didn't want a rebellion there. Uh, you know, as a result of that, uh, and 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 the point you were making about white supremacy. See, w- one of the struggles that we're in right now is the term white supremacy was even you know even when I was in the struggle in the late 60s and 70s you know i started as a teenager you know we we mostly you we always use the term uh racism or white racism and really it was uh nearly full in dr wilson that that gave us this uh broader scope and understanding uh even though uh when when Kwame Ture and charles hamilton wrote uh black power the politics of liberation uh, in 1968 or 69, they talked about racism being uh, institutional and individual. But it was Dr. Wilson and, and Neely Fuller that gave us the broader, broader understanding of white supremacy as a system. Okay, people still weren't when when Fuller and uh, Wilson started talking about this. People were not using the term, you know, you know, white supremacy. One of the things that got that that attracted me to the term was when I heard Dr. Wilson say, uh, because you know they were people were starting to say then, well, there's black racism, yellow racism, brown racism, et cetera, et cetera. Dr. Wilson said there's only one functional form of racism, and that's white supremacy, and it's functional because it's the only form that operates through institutions, um, you know, meaning a government structures and uh, you know a, a system of capitalism. Uh, now many people use the term racial, racial capitalism. So, you know, so she gave us a broader understanding. Now, you hear Joe Biden. Hmm. 
Joe Biden, one of the architects of the new Jim Crow system of white supremacy, talking about uh, the United States is in a struggle against white supremacy. You are white supremacists. You have been <laughs> institutionalized white supremacists your entire political career. You know, uh, George Wallace neophyte, a strong Thurman neophyte. And now, and, and so today, his attorney general, uh, Merrick, you know, Garland, uh, you know, a person of apparently of the Jewish faith, is talking about, you know, the, the, that, uh, you know, if he's selected attorney general, the first thing he's going to focus on is the uh, January 6th uh, Capitol Hill riot and the threat posed by white supremacy. So so what they're doing, they're taking this very powerful term that uh, really Neely Full and Dr. Uh, Wilson uh, contextualized for us. And, and 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 gave and it gave us a powerful definition to operate with. Now this term, because you got Joe Biden using it, uh, you know, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, all these people are using the term white supremacy, and so the term now, the definition is becoming, you know, uh, convoluted, diluted, you know, distorted, and so this is why, you know, it's we're always in a constant and struggle for clarity, you know, versus confusion, and you know that's uh, you know it you know it 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 becomes increased talking about if we're talking about white supremacy, and uh, uh and white supremacists themselves are talking about it, you know the attack the attack on the capital by white white supremacists. Well, who were they attacking? <laughs> and you see, that's one of the reasons why you often hear me use the term the white power structure, because what they've done now is they've disassociated themselves with who they want you to think are the white supremacists. And this is one of the confusion tactics that they've used throughout history is you have people who create the system and create the structures of the system. But then they point the fingers at the most blatant racist, the most blatant overt uh, people who they would call white supremacists to make you believe that these are the people that are responsible, overly responsible for the system itself. The reason why I say white power structure is because they have a system in place and they use this structure, whether they consider themselves to be racist or supremacist or not this is still a structure that's built by them that benefits them and they use it to oppress uh and exploit other people and other races just like you have a chinese power structure or asian power structure the question is where is the black or the african power structure that's what needs to be developed and that's one of the things that garvey knew early which is why he said let them have this land let the white man have america uh, let's go and then let's develop a land for our own, for, for, our, for ourselves. And this is the philosophy to me that is the only winning philosophy because all of the other philosophies out there will leave you in a state of being a second class citizen under the white power structure. No matter how much justice you think you achieve, you're still going to be under the white power structure. That's the time you 
living on another man's land under another man's flag, you'll never have equity and justice. And some of these use his word off time terms. Um, you talk about uh, Malcolm, his views were echoed and what one of the uh, Pulitzer Prize winners, Chris Hedges, articulated here recently. You talk about freedom, justice, equality, democracy. You know, Hedges writes, these are nothing but platitudes. Politics is based on power and fear. You know, and uh, this is what Malcolm was all about, you know, just operating in as a pan-Africanist internationalist. You know, once again, to reiterate what uh, he was doing in terms of his direction, uh, he saw probably definitely the possibility of a fledgling United Nation, he and Dr. King, and uh, to quote uh, Cornel West, uh, West insists we have this information by way of Freedom of, Inf of the Freedom of Information Act, Doc King calls Alma Wallace and says, you and I need to go to the UN together. Right. Uh, and you, you, you know, j j just to go back to that, that ideology, when you look at what the Panthers were saying in their time, when they were saying all power for all people, the white power structure didn't even like that because they don't want people to have power unless it's them they're saying black power for black people brown power for brown people white power for white people they don't want any other races to be thinking about power they want you to to be satisfied with existing as long as they can control the game and, and can control the outcome of your life and hold hold your destiny in their hands. That's where they want you to be. That's where they want you to be positioned. So yeah, absolutely, uh, Jed Hoover around April fourth, sixty-seven, when uh, Doc King uh, with Lyndon Johnson. That was one of the FBI mandates: is to convince the Negro youth that if they succumb to nationalist ideologies self-sufficiency as you articulated brother they will be killed you know brother amos wilson reminds us that black nationalism or nationalism it is the bane of white supremacy who seeks to dominate us in the logical conclusion being genocide so you know absolutely you know they want to keep you vulnerable and helpless and uh, intent on elevating symbolism black president black congressman or whatever well I, I mean i uh i'll pose a question to both of you brothers because this was you know during your time but how many leaders how many people did you personally see disassociate themselves from the phrase black power brother that uh, to your point and hold that point black people have Doc King and Malcolm X both have become extremely unpopular with black people. Malcolm frightened black folk. And thus he could easily be assassinated, killed without any type of repercussions because of, you know, to use his words again, he will create an 
image that they know you don't like, and before long you'll be celebrating your enemies and uh, celebrating your enemies and disdain and, and develop disdain for your friends. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, something like that. He used the Congo as an example. You know how Lumumba had been demonized. You know, and you know, I'm I'm quoting him verbatim. It's the same game going on all the time. And if you don't develop the analytical ability to read between the lines, you know, he would go on and on and on. You know, in that uh, Baptist style, he obviously garnered some of those oratorical skills from his father. Okay, but uh, it. Black folk were afraid of the term black power. King spoke to that quite eloquently. You know, the connotative association with black power frightened a lot of people. And sadly, what we ended up with was a slogan, but no power. Doc said, of course I agree with black power. You know, but what we ended up with, once again, was a slogan and no power. Because of the press, going back to Malcolm, the press and the way they distort things and decontextualize things. Uh, go ahead, somebody. What about you, Makaru? What did you see? And Kwame Ture started to use the term black power. Were there people during that time that didn't want to deal with that type of phrase oh you know absolutely i mean i you know i i i heard the phrase you know as you know as uh you know i'm an adolescent you know i i, I heard the phrase it, it 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 inspired me uh because you know i had you know seen from afar you know the uh, murder of you know, black children in Birmingham and and other acts of, of violence that had been, you know, taking place and you know, it 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 clearly made sense to me, but but there was an you know, there was an absolute uh rebellion against it, uh, you know, within the uh quote unquote Negro community, particularly among the respectable Negro leadership, uh, because the way, as Jack said, the media framed it. They immediately framed it within the within the context of violence. And you know, if if, if people stop to, to think about it, well, Kwame Ture and uh, and you know James Foreman, Baba Mikasa, and the other who were in SNCC, Jamil El Amin, Red Brown, and others. You know, they certainly said, listen, we have a right to defend ourselves because, you know, our people are being attacked. But, you know, they weren't saying, you know, that uh, they weren't specifically advocating uh, at that announcement any type of uh, revolutionary violence. Now, they did a couple of years later with the Black Panther Party. But that was the main thing that scared most New Grows away was the, the the fact that the the press immediately defined it uh, as something that uh, you know you know would lead to a quote unquote race war, you know, rel 
you know, if 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 black people pursued this rather than pursuing uh, rather than integrating into the system and getting a piece of the pie. Uh, and, and, and we have to understand that, that when the brothers, the, these guys are young, you know, themselves at this time, you know, like 24, 20, 25 years old, they, they have, they have to have time to, to develop the concept and articulate it. And, so there was there was always a struggle over exactly what it meant, and so that's why, uh, you know, Kwame Ture, uh, you know, got Professor Charles Hamilton, and they, and they wrote the book so that they're an uh, example of, of of what it means in terms of Asian uh, uh, politics, and they had already actually tried. Uh, you know this uh, in in the political arena in term in uh, in Lowndes County, Alabama, and uh, of course th th there was no reason why you know black people in the Black Belt of Alabama, you know Greene County, Lowndes County, uh, Macon County, uh, Dallas County, where Selma is, Perry County, the home of Coretta Scott King, and along with all of the counties, uh, you know in 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 the Mississippi Delta, uh, you know where where Fannie Lou Lou Hamer and you need a black Henry and uh, Amzie Moore and all of those uh, T.R.M. Howard, uh, June Johnson and all of those uh, you know, great African people were. Uh, there's no reason why you, should, if you're the majority, you know, of the uh, of, of those counties. In the Black Belt of Alabama and other places uh, in Louisiana, where Black people, you know, may may have been the uh, majority of the people uh, in a particular county, uh, in order to control, uh, you know, the purse uh, strings, and uh, in, and 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 deliver some uh, much needed uh, resources and basic needs. You know, you know, one of the things that they did in Mississippi in 1964 uh, because, you know, you had these two powerful white supremacist senators, James Eastland yes, and, John, and John Stennis, um, they cut off the uh, food supplements. Mm. I guess what we would call today, uh, you know, aid to families with dependent children, uh, you know, the... Uh, the the powdered milk and powdered cheese powdered egg. They, the, the the very things that the people the people needed you know in 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 Greenwood and in in Greenville and Cleveland Mississippi and you know um uh you know Tallahatchie County and places like that they 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 said look if if y'all if y'all gonna try to register to vote you you mm. you gonna starve to death and so so people from around the country had to actually truck food in because the U.S. government, and, and and this is really a crime against humanity, and this is one of the things that Malcolm would also recognize in that same year, well, humanity, by, by cutting people off from, from uh, is that they need to survive uh, particularly during the winter and 
40 United and, 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 and expose this to the world. Of course, this was a threat to the United States hegemony. You know, there was a Cold War taking place, real question for spheres of influence in, in the world. So, you know, Kwame Ture and those had seen how, how these things operated. And they said, at the bare minimum, if we can't do anything else in these counties where we're the majority, we should at least control, if we can control the politics, we can control the educational system, and, you know, we can, we, we can do what we can to start uh, economically developing these communities. And, of course, th you know, this was the idea uh, uh, that was uh, carried on uh, by the... Uh, the Obadele brothers, Gaidi and Amari Obadele, and the other members of the Republic of New Africa, uh, Queen Mother Moore, Robert F. Williams, and others who were part of this, uh, you know, formation. Um, so yeah, yeah, there was a lot. There was a uh, there was a tremendous amount of opposition because, uh, you know, it threatened, uh, you know, from the Negro perspective, it threatened their idea of being able to assimilate into the American dream, which Amos Wilson called, you know, assimilate into a, into a band of thieves, because, you know, that's what you're essentially saying that you're doing when you want a piece of the pie, you want a piece of the thievery, you know, that, they, that they've been able to take. Uh, and so, you know, you had, those, you had that opposition, and then you had the fear. The young black people born in, particularly those born in the 1940s, and I mean the whole the whole generation, okay, you know, from 19, being born in 1925, 1929, but but the the guys that really rose up and 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 went into the streets were young people that were say like Kwame Ture born in 1941 and Jamil Elamine born in, you know, 1949, for example. I mean, you got a whole you got a Tremendous activists, Marimba Arne, you know, Kathleen Cleaver, all these people were born, you know, Huey Newton, Bobby Seale, Bunchy Carter, all these guys were born during this period of time, and they scared the crap out of the white power structure. And this is one reason why the black family came under assault. They said, man, look, we got to destroy the black family. Look who they're producing. You know, I told you, you know, we talked last week about the four teenagers up there in High Point. You know, look what look what they are producing. These black families. We gotta we got to destroy these black families. We you know we gotta get them. You know we gotta get the males out. <laughs> you know we gonna we gonna put this uh, welfare in and get the males out of the home. We gotta do something about these people. So they really didn't have time to thoroughly develop the concept and apply it. Things were just happening so fast. Uh, you know, but it's like the United States. Look at all, look at all the turmoil the United States went went through. You know, from its 1812 was war again. They carried on continuous wars, people. Then you got the Civil War, where now based on current, thousand Americans died. You, you know, not just in combat, from disease and all kinds of other things. So, you know, it takes time to develop. It takes time to develop. You know, look, uh, you know, Kwame Nkrumah has what? Less than 10 years. Patrice Lumumba only has a few months. Only a few months. I mean, you know, so it's just, uh, 
it, 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 it's 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 the struggle that um, that you know we, we we just have not had time to develop but as long as the idea exists within the minds of a few the still exists but you know as you said the perspective that that uh, that Malcolm gave us it has to be global it, it absolutely has to be global you can defeat white supremacy, but the white power structure will still exist. The only way to neutralize or defeat the white power structure is to have a black power structure. Global. This has been another edition of African Liberation Media Podcast. Visit our website, AfricanLiberationMedia.com for the latest updates and also for all of our podcast episodes. You can also check us out on social media and you can listen to us wherever you listen to your podcast. A BB for Hodie. Power or the lack of power. I want to repeat this. Power or the lack of power. If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not jobs, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. Uh, buying your houses and fine clothes does not represent power either. If it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled, and you will die educated and misled. If your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world.